0: Living in a pandemic has caused us to reassess the very way we live. Social distancing, working from home, the logistics of safely moving a lot of people around within our cities and inside our buildings have all combined to challenge everything we've previously taken for granted. Will decentralised working arrangements change our CBDs forever? What will a newfound appreciation for local amenity mean for big retail centres? What does all this mean for urban design? download our free full or forecast report which experts can you trust to get it right the elephantintheroom.com.au Urban designers have been reshaping our cities and creating new suburbs for decades and planning is done well ahead of construction. Today we're going to find out whether or not the pandemic has turned urban planning on its head. What sort of structural changes can we expect? Or could we be knee-jerking? Are the changes we're seeing in human behaviour now only temporary? Joining us today is Bernard Gallagher, an owner and regional director at Ethos Urban, an urban development consultancy servicing major private sector and government clients across Australia. Now they've been in the business for over 25 years, creating what they say is a better urban experience for clients, communities and places. In New South Wales, they've played an instrumental role in transforming some significant urban projects such as Brangaroo, Central Park and the recent redevelopment of Darling Harbour. Now, I've been wanting to have this discussion with Bernard for quite a while, as I know he has insights into how our governments view the future of where and how we live, work and commute. Thanks for joining us today, Bernard.
1: Thank you. Good to be here. Bernard, thank you. As someone who loves thinking about designing great cities, probably in their sleep, how do you think COVID's kind of changed your view on how you do that?
2: Well, yeah, big one right off the right off the bat. Uh, I, I think um, <laughs> I think let's start by put, putting things in a bit of bit of perspective. There's, you know, cities are amazingly resilient. If you look over time, you know, if we go back. Wars, you know, natural disasters. Cities have this amazing ability to bounce back from from almost anything. And I think if we, if we, uh, you know, sometime in the future, we'll look back and and hopefully view this as just one of those uh, one of those events that come along that 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 does change cities. But but I think it'll be seen in that bigger context. So I'm, overall, I'm very optimistic about. Uh, the, the changes, and there will be some some definite, um, you know, uh, definite uh, implications for, for the cities that come out of this, but um, I think most mm. of them, will, to be honest, I actually think they'll be very positive.
1: Yeah, so you think that uh, ultimately we would, the, the way that we were designing city was still the right way, or do you think that, you know, we can do things a little bit better, I guess, you know, if there is, you know, trends with work from home, et cetera?
2: <clears throat> uh, I think one of the things that have, has come out of you know, it, there's actually been you know, lots of observations that have come out of that, you know, that dramatic event back in whenever it was March where, you know, people went into shutdown and literally overnight, uh, you know, the roads went quiet, the city streets, you know, everything shut down. And, and it was quite an amazing event in, in a way from, from when you look at how a city works. Um, I think uh, there has been a, a, a big debate growing around uh, living patterns and housing patterns coming out of uh, out of COVID, and I think it was triggered mainly around uh, when, when New York went down. There was a big debate around density, and and is it, is, is COVID related to density? You know, is it is it high rise living fault? Uh, about the time you know, there's there's different. Uh, there's different supporters of suburban uh, living and, and, and high-density living, no, but everyone came out and said, you know, the other's wrong and, you know, we've all got to go out to the to the burbs and, and leave the cities alone. And, you know, there's a lot of... Um, since, you know, that, that was back in, uh, you know, whenever that's March, April, but over that time, yeah. we've seen, well, that's actually not the case. It's There's so many other factors that have influenced the transmission of COVID and it's not density... The political system, the connectivity of cities to to airports, the the way people listen to government, and you know that's probably got a bigger influence than whether you're living in high density or not. So, I think uh, I think um, you know uh, d- density will survive this. The other the other really uh, interesting thing, and I think we've all probably uh, experienced this a little bit, is that. You know our local community, our local. Uh, you know when you're in that lockdown environment and or, or can't just travel too much, our local community comes so much important. So you know at a um, you know at a metropolitan scale, we talk about a 30 minute city in in Sydney, and it's about a 30 minute com- commute. You know, in a in a uh, in, in, when you, your local community is about your 15 minute community, it's about your local shops, your park, your been able to walk to to school doing all those sort of day-to-day things those those elements of, uh, of um, urban design uh, and, and this is nothing new we've been our planners have been saying this is what we should be doing for a long time but those mm. those uh, those that concept of that local village that the main street um, all of those that walkable community has has come through to be uh, you know a really uh, a really strong way of, of, of living and getting through something like this.
1: I can see you're in the office today, Um, you know, do you think that people will be going back to that sort of five days in the city, you know, for most people or do you, you know, because I imagine probably 80, 90% of people were doing that, you know, prior to COVID. I mean, what sort of drop off do you think you will see or do you think that, you know, humans are hard to change, even if we have six months out of the city, we're still going to go back to old habits? Um,
2: yeah, it's a good point. And there's been lots of, uh, there's lots of studies and, and it's interesting again, over time when, you know, even over the last six months, we saw lots of, uh, lots of reports come out and firms saying, right, we're never going back to the office. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> back, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all, this is the new future and we're going to have our people at home. And, you know, I've seen and a lot of the big tech firms were saying that. And even, uh, I was, I read something the other week, the, uh, the, the GM from Google, I think it was, in the states, sort of said, "Oh, well, actually, you know what? There's actually a lot of good things that happen around collaboration and offices, and, and maybe it's not a maybe it's a it's a good thing that we actually have uh, have um, have that space and people together." So, I think um, you know, I think locally um, we'll see definitely uh, a change, and, and again, this was a, a change that was already happening. Like the the whole concept of working mm. flexibly. Uh, isn't 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 new. It was what what COVID has done is just accelerate that trend. You know the, the the technology of Zoom and all those things were there. We just never used them, and it wasn't acceptable from a business point of view to to you know uh, to operate like that. But now those things are completely acceptable. So um, I think uh, you know like our, our business, for example, we, we were working at home. Uh, completely for months, and uh, you know there was a again there was a bit of a phase of the the novelty phase, and then it uh, got a bit harder, and and slowly as things opened up, um, you know we've seen a mix. This and, and and it's quite typical amongst businesses. Uh, some people are really keen to get back into the office. Uh, others are quite comfortable working flexibly, uh, and that might mean a couple of days at home. You know a couple of days in the office um, so I think it's going to be a blend and that's probably is the new normal it will depend on the type of business that you're in um, you know businesses that need you know people oriented business that need collaboration I think over time they will struggle they'll struggle to to build internal connections within their firm so I think uh, I think that uh, we'll see a, a movement back to the city and you know I've just been in Uh, in in the city in the last few days and just you know working at home is great and and uh, and not not missing the commute at all but you can't beat the the vibrancy of of a city of a city street and and cafes and hopefully all of those things will come back uh, over time uh, um, as people come back so yeah I'm pretty I'm pretty optimistic that we will see a you know we'll see a gradual change Uh, you know whether it ends up being uh, you know 20 uh, 20 sort of 20% reduction so like a four four you know four days in yeah. one day off type thing i think that'll be fairly fairly normal now
0: so yeah given given the sort of extent and and the i guess the depth that you have to go to or the the extent that you have to go to when you're developing new urban plans you know precinct plans whole new suburbs really you know that is done way in advance of anything being built right and so does this change does this idea of flexibility and sort of the fact that's sort of embedded now within us all does that change the vision for how our suburbs and cities are going to look or is sort of because I know that a lot of this is driven by government but of course they consult firms like yours to help them develop Mm. that vision right so is there any of it going to change or is it sort of going to be business as usual and keep on keeping on?
2: No, I think things will change. Uh, I mean, there's probably two two, cha- two changes we will see out of this. So I think the attractiveness of uh, areas outside of Sydney now will become a lot more prevalent. So the you know places yeah. like the Southern Highlands, the Blue Mountains, the up the coast, the the idea of uh, you know working at working uh, you know living in that lifestyle uh, and still working that will become so much more attractive. Now it was always there, but it was sort of a bit of a you know, it was yeah. never quite. Could it really work? Uh, the idea of being in the office two days a week and three days. Uh, so, so there'll be a lot more pressure on that peripheral growth around the city, I think, uh, and then that, and that will create um, demand in some of those areas. And I, I think it's really it is only it's a two-hour radius outside of a metropolitan city city like Sydney. Um, I think the other the other big uh, influence here is is the whole transport network because a lot of uh, mm. you know a lot of our transport uh, and particularly in a city like Sydney, which is a radial rail network into a CBD, it was all about getting people in at that peak hour and moving mass people <laughs> you know in and out and the car, and same as our road network. So you know we've seen uh, with flexibility and just that whole reduction that that it actually. Could be a, a good thing that we actually have this flattening of the, the peak. There is issues at the moment around the reluctance to use public transport and you know, hopefully that comes back over time.
0: Is peak hour dead? Hopefully it is. <laughs> but, I mean, the government, this isn't a good impact for the government, right, because if then they don't have to actually beef up that infrastructure in order to ca- carry more volume of people in those peak hours, then they can actually look at spending money in other areas of infrastructure, right, or perhaps even, I don't know, dare we say it, high-speed rail.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, over time there will be a... Um, you know, I, I think that changing in that peak hour, which again will be will be a good thing. It may. I don't think the peak hour will be dead. It it may be a, a longer, uh, more continuous. Just three hours. Yeah. Peak three hours. Peak three hours. Yeah. I mean, it will it will put pressure on other movement networks though. If there's a lot more local local movements, one of the yeah. uh, one of the interesting, you know, really exciting uh, uh, outcomes of. Um, of of COVID is when the roads went quiet. All of a sudden, you know, uh. the concept of being able to walk and cycle became mm. a lot more attractive. And people, you know, you just had to look around the city, and the number of people that were out walking and enjoying enjoying the 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 uh, the cycle tracks and the walking networks and their local networks. Um, and we've seen the city respond by things like new cycleways being being built into the city. Um, and again, trends that were Happening, but COVID's accelerated some of these things in, in a yeah. good way. So, hopefully, we, we will see um, we will see more people using uh, active transport, so walking and cycling. Um, and uh, there has been a, unfortunately, with people moving away from public transport, a, an increase in car use. Mm. Uh, but hopefully, that will be a uh, you know a, a temporary um, a, a temporary event that when people move back to, to, to public transport.
0: It's interesting that you say that because, you know, I got, I dusted off my bike and got it serviced, you know, in March and and I (laughs) wasn't running around because I'm not the most confident on the road and I do not like riding around, you know, and I live in a very urban area so I don't like really riding around all the idiotic drivers because they are. Um, You know, I tend to follow follow those Uber drivers, Uber Uber riders, (laughs) because they're mad. Anyway. (laughs) But the, the point there is that there's more cars on the road than there were before, I think. Um, it feels like it anyway. And and I've put the bike away again. You know, I, I mm. don't like mm. being on the road and I want to cycle. Mm. Um, and so it's all good to have these cycle ways, but you have to get to the cycleway unless you live on one. So yeah, um, yeah. Mm. I don't know how this is going to, it's all a bit, it, it's a bit piecemeal at the moment. It feels that way.
2: Yeah. Very piecemeal in Sydney. And, and, uh, And it will be for, you know, we're a long way behind some of the international cities on cycling. But, you know, it does take little events like this for people to start to change their, you know, it only takes a few people to change their habits and and things can grow from there. So I don't think you're the only one that dusted off your bike in March. uh, Half of Sydney did the same thing in the same week, so...
1: Yes. Well, I mean okay. there's been a few, hasn't there? There's been um the whole Moore Park Road I think it is, mm. you know, down past the stadium, that's a you know a bit of a test or the the local residents got very upset because that's where they park their cars and that doesn't exist and so you've got that internal battle between what are the local residents want and what's good for the city. Mm. Um, I mean even just the extending George Street, I guess, you know, mm. taking cars off, mm. you know, that's obviously been a success. They wouldn't be extending you know the walkability of just no cars on George Street, unless they think that that's going to, you know, uh, what the main thing's probably in lighting or the retail, isn't it, and encouraging people to connect Aww. with the city a bit more. Is that sort of what's driving it.
0: Or, or is it to stop people getting run over by trams because they're basically staring at their phones?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think if uh, I mean, let's 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 take a, a step back to you know pre pre uh, George Street pre tram. I mean. The the place was horrible. The buses mm. used to barrel down Broad Street. you you know the footpath was narrow. You'd be pushed out into the street. It was a horrible, horrible environment.
0: Mm. And
2: you know I remember the, back at the time when when uh, the plans were first um, envisaged and thinking, "Wow, that's radical." I, I actually remember thinking that where, whether that would ever happen in in Sydney, and I'm so glad it did because it actually showed well how 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 you can transform even though it's a it's it's a public transport project it actually ended up you know for georgia it's a a public domain project really and uh, Mm -hmm. you go down there today or at any time and it's you know it's an amazing amazing space and and it's great that they're they're um they are extending it you know i think that there was Mm -hmm. the 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 opponents were saying you know where will all the cars go well the cars managed to you know, find their way out and still getting around the city. It's still working, you know. the Again, cities have got this amazing sort of a resilience to change and adaption.
0: It's on that, though. I mean, when the tunnel was built, the Cross City Tunnel, there was, you know, a lot of controversy because, of course, uh, the... the uh, uh, on the top, the freeway, literally free way to drive across the city or through the city had been cut down to pretty much one lane. So it was like forcing people to take the tollway um, and there was a lot of a lot of um, negativity around that and I don't blame the people that were vocal about that. But does the fact that you take away the opportunity to drive through the city, does it really stop people driving through the city? I mean, you know, or do they find another way around? Is you know what I mean? Like... I mean, does yeah. I mean does this sort of it's almost like penalising somebody, does it actually have the effect of changing their behaviour?
2: I think it's a combination of things. The 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 uh, the tunnel, I mean there's different trips as well. So there's trips that are going through the city, they're not stopping in the city, but they have to go through the city mm. to go somewhere else. And yeah. and they're the sort of trips that we don't really want in the city. If you have yeah. to, there's always going to be people that need to go to the city in your drive. And, and that's fine, you can accommodate that. But if you can take those other, and unfortunately the way our city in Sydney is, so, is designed, it's constrained on you know two sides by water and, and, mm. and, and other things, you, you're sort of actually having to force people. You know, Even the north-south uh, travel goes through the city. So over time, if you can take those trips out, you've actually got more space for, for the locals, for the people that need to be there, that want to be there, more space for, for walking and riding, so I, I don't think that'll be a bad thing over time. If you look at the road network that's being built, you know the tunneling network through through Sydney, yeah, um, you know there's there's there'll be some pros and cons to that, but it will take a lot of that local traffic off that that um, clogs up the roads. Yes, it'll put it elsewhere, but it actually makes some of those uh, some of those roads and some of those areas on top they'll be able to change and, and improve because you're taking all of that uh, through traffic away.
0: And, I mean, I'm going to I think counter my own argument here for a second, but um, I listened to a TED talk some time ago. I wish I could remember who it was. It was a, a traffic designer, an American traffic designer, was basically saying that, you know, everyone cries out for, I want four-lane roads. Why didn't you buy four build a four-lane road in the first place? And if you build a four-lane road, then traffic miraculously increases to, yeah. to yeah. build that four-lane road, um, yeah. how does that work? I mean, is that sort of your area of expertise? I'm quite oh, fascinated you, you, by you're, that.
2: Yeah, you're, you're getting out of my expertise here, but I mean, it's human nature, isn't it? If there's mm. if there's yeah. if there's a easy road or easy path to take, uh, you know, traffic has this natural ability of soaking that capacity up. You know, if it's too hard and there's an alternative way, you'll go that way. So there's mm. this natural balance, and that's the problem. If you just keep building roads. You just keep, you know, it doesn't actually solve the problem because you're just creating capacity
1: each time. It's making
0: the easy way out. It's like water.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And that's the key point, isn't it, with the West Connects, the F6 Freeway, Western Harbour Tunnel, Beaches Link. You know, there's all these sort of big projects, North Connects, um, and there's two people. One people on side of the fence are saying, well, yeah, that's great. I can get around my city easier. I'm happy to pay the tolls because it means I can live anywhere and get anywhere. Uh, and then you've got the locals who are saying that's just going to encourage more people using cars. It's not sustainable. It's not environmentally friendly. Um, and people will just do it because you build the roads. people will do it. So how do you sit on that debate in terms of growing a city sustainably plus, mm. you know, uh, thinking about the different the different stakeholders, I guess.
2: Yeah, so you know, uh, traffic uh, transport movements. Um, it's got to be a combination of public transport and and roads. We've we've had a long time in this city where roads was the only infrastructure that was built motorways, freeways. You know, we've seen in the last few years this emergence of of the metro network across Sydney. Yeah, uh, which which. going to be revolutionary when that if and hopefully they keep keep building that out they're they're doing the the key you know the tough bits now getting through the harbour and and through the city uh and then over time that will extend um there's only i mean you know it's the proof is worldwide around you know public transport in high densities sydney is moving to a city of eight million people we can't we can't get to eight million still thinking we're all just going to be driving our cars every day the same way we did as a city of four million, mm. because it won't work, you know, and and there'll be freeways everywhere if if that's the model. So there's got to be a balance. And, uh, you know, Sydney does, particularly in those PKs, has quite a good uh, what we call mode shift, uh, mode um, split. So that's the number of people that use different modes, so public transport, cars, active transport. And I think with, with Metro... Uh, connecting out through through new, new cities, connecting Parramatta, that'll be a game changer. Getting you know, connecting the city and Parramatta yeah. within fifteen minutes, you know, that will be an amazing um, change when you could do that. Just thinking of being, you know, whether your office is in either one to be able to get to the other centre in that sort of sort of sort short of time frame. So. Um, how, how does that
0: work though? Because with the metro going out to Parramatta, there's already a heavy, like a heavy rail going out there, and and this is something I've never understood. Why they need to duplicate that with a light rail?
2: Yeah, that oh. that um, that that train line that comes in from Parramatta into the city is one of the con- most congested lines in in the, in the whole network because it feeds in. If you can imagine all of those sort of feeder lines that come, in. I think mm. it's the Inner West line. Uh, by the time those trains are getting into the city, they're they're either full or you know, they're at capacity. So, uh, it is it's two things: it's uh, creating new capacity, but it's also a much faster route as well. So, I think it, by the final, I think it's only four or five stations, by recollection, to go from the city to um, to Parramatta. So oh, it's it like is
0: an it express
1: is. bus. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, Yeah. Um,
1: but I think it's also on the, the route it's going into sort of Pyrmont potentially, you know, it's going to Roselle. So that's going to activate that area, 5 Dock, you know, Sydney Olympic Park. Yeah. So it is, yeah. it is picking up stops along the way that yeah. are, I guess gaps in the system. Mm. But also, you know, Parramatta, it's like you build the city and they'll come. I don't think with Parramatta they've been trying that and it hasn't happened. So what they're trying to do is get, I guess, the CBDs to be split a little bit and connect them. So... You know, if you have your office in Parramatta, it's not seen as such a far distance away from the city, um, which absolutely. it was in the past. Is yeah. that sort of right? Enough? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
2: And you see it now with the amount of uh,
1: the, the the
2: amount of new office space being created in Parramatta. You know, there was a big residential boom for a number of years there, but we're actually seeing now a move to to commercial office, and that's both government and and private sector uh, moving to Parramatta. So.
0: So City Sydney's sort of had this idea what the satellite cities is it called the satellite city? The city is three cities or something. What's it called? Yeah. You know, you got Liverpool, yeah. Parramatta and the C B North Sydney and the C B D. Um I mean Liverpool's obviously a bit further out than Parramatta. Is that is that sort of still on track? Is that does that change in any way due to what we're going through now or is that certainly, you know, something that's still required when, you, when you're when you sort of visionary, looking at a, a city of 8 million people plus, of course, you've got 8 million, it's going to be more than 8 million as well yeah. after that, right?
2: Yeah, that, I mean, that, that they those types of uh, plans are, are long-term and, you know, that's a, you know, 30, 40 year and, and some yep. of those ideas have been around for that long as well. So, yeah. Um, you know the good thing with Sydney, it does have these this network of quite uh, strong centres, like your your Liverpool's and your Parramattas and your North Sydney's, your Chatswoods that are all connected on the railway network. They've got good retail centres with them. Um, a lot of cities, you know, Melbourne struggles in that regard. It has a very strong CBD, but then as a, you know, it's other than a couple of centres, it's quite a suburban sort of framework. Whereas Sydney has these. Is multiple centres, uh, which which over time, um, you know, they they are providing all of those local amenities, jobs, retail, schools, universities. The universities now are tending to move back into. They want to be in centres like Liverpool and Parramatta. Um, so I think that is that is the that is a real strength of Sydney, and that's part of the reason I think we will be able to accommodate. You know, eight million people at a point in time because you've got—it's not just all concentrated in one or two um, centres that are. You know, everyone's trying to get into the same point at the same time.
0: So, how does that plan sort of work? Say for Melbourne, because they've got projected very similar population growth, right?
2: Mm. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think in Melbourne, you know, it's it's they're struggling a little bit around. Grappling around what that transport network is going to look like. They've got a great radial network that, of of trams, and but they don't have that heavy rail network that Sydney does, um, or the, the 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 length of it, um, and those those centres, those those centres outside of the CBD too, mm-hmm. that Sydney does. So, you know, what Melbourne has is uh, really uh, you know quite flat, developable land. Because um, Sydney is Sydney is very constrained. We've got you know mm. natural features, yeah, which which you know in a way to me is a good thing because that stops the city and will stop the city growing too far and too too far out. Um, versus uh, you know if, if if it's easy to just to keep spreading, it's like water, right? It'll it'll find the it's find yeah. a natural path at path of the uh, path of least resistance.
0: But that's not really great urban design then, is it? Because cause you're talking about basically Melbourne could join Adelaide soon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and But, you know, it keeps getting further and further out, but there's no, like, hubs or employment hubs being created. Then that's a real problem, right? And then you've got the transport issue as well because you don't have a heavy rail network that sort of has as many tentacles, I guess. Mm. Um yeah so but yet there are urban designers involved in those suburbs, right? those new suburbs. So mm. what's going on there? Is there a disconnect between what the government's visioning? Is there a vision?
2: Yeah, there'll be there's always a vision, uh, and there's always competing interests around as well, um, even amongst government amongst transport agencies and planning agencies and you know other infrastructure agencies. So it's never an easy uh, single vision um, by by all accounts. Um, you know, I think over you know, we are getting better at uh, we are getting much better these days at delivering the infrastructure along with the the, the communities. If you look back to and you know, even even in Sydney, that some of the suburbs that were built in the 60s and mm-hmm. 70s, they you know they didn't even a lot of them didn't have basic services. The schools didn't come for a long time, if ever. Um, I think we're getting a lot of that infrastructure planning correct or or much better these days. Uh, It's never going to be perfect because it's sort of a bit of a chicken and egg thing, but um, when you look at some of the um, you know, some of the uh, new communities out in um, in Edmondson Park, for example out in Western Sydney, you know, railway station, you know, quite a quite a strong retail centre, school, all of those things are being planned at the same time as, as the residents. They're not an afterthought. Um, Yeah, it's not, uh, it's never a perfect science, uh, town planning.
0: So, obviously,
1: the Metro is an amazing project. I think, uh, you know, living, when I lived in London, you know, anyone who's probably spent a lot of time in New York or, you know, in Paris or big global cities, the Metro is what drives the whole city, right? And if you, um, you know, if you've got a friend over the other side of town or you've got a new job, you're not concerned because you're like, well, I've got the Metro to or the tube or whatever it is to fall back on. What are some of the other big sort of projects that you think Sydney, are going to probably Im- you know implement over the next you know twenty thirty years. It'll kind of be game changers like the metro. Well, um.
0: <laughs> it doesn't sound encouraging. <laughs> Is that an elephant in the room?
1: <laughs> no. Well, I mean what. What about the Tech Sydney? I mean, Tech Sydney's a... I mean, do you think that the whole Atlassian um, phrases are in there, you know, activating Central Station, you know, the Everly sort of area, do you think, you know, that gives Sydney another dimension or do you think it's just going to be a few towers and an empty square?
2: (laughs) No, I think that'll be be really exciting down around Central. Uh, You know, it's really been to be honest I mean it's been pretty bit of an eyesore for a long time you know for mm. a, yeah for such a great city uh you know we've got the beautiful harbour and, and 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 water waterfront it sort of was always a little bit you know left behind and, and in a way it's the it's it's a major you know gateway or you know it is the southern entry into the city um and it's you know it was where traditionally all of those things all those connections come together where the interstate trains come in the the, the country chains yeah. and, and it's a big, uh, it's a it's a big um, uh, connection point. So, and it's interesting how, you know, when you look at tech, for example, um, you know that the in the uh, the eighties and the nineties, tech tech was all out in suburban, you know, campuses. They wanted to be out, and yeah. whether it was here or in the US, right? And it was uh, now a lot of that movement. But now they want to be right in the middle of the action. You know, and that's why. Company, I'm sure, like Alassian's going to a place like that because it's. They look at their workforce, uh, the 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 ability to attract people, um, uh, where their where their workers live, and, and the 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 environment that the, what they want to create. Uh, what what better place to be, you know, right on top of Central Station, almost. So, I think it'll be fantastic for that part of the city. You've got uh, Central Park there. You've got the University Hub. It's a lot of vibrancy already. Um, you know, it's such a great asset, and it'll really improve that bottom part of town um, over time, and be connected by uh, by George Street up to um, up to the harbour.
0: So it's sort of, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's this lot of investment and enthusiasm around that very urban precinct, and yet at the same time yeah. you've got know, this sort of migration of people that it seems to have been this pent-up demand of people living in urban centres that go, you know what, I want to see change, I want a tree change, this is my opportunity, I can work from home part of the time, blah, 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 I'm getting out. And, you know, talking to real estate agents uh, both in Sydney and out of Sydney, out of Sydney they're saying that Sydney Ciders and... Uh, it. Are buying up you know sort of acreage and sea change tree change areas and in sydney oh yeah my vendor you know where is the owner going oh they're moving to bar and they're moving to central coast they're moving to southern highlands they're moving to the mountains whatever so this is there's a lot of it seems to be a lot of people going you know they wanted there's been this level of discontent that now they're going right that's it now's our time but there's sort of two directions, right? There's sort of the middle ground. I wonder whether that's going to be that appealing as time goes on. Um, but that two-hour commute thing, because you touched on it earlier, you sort of talked about the 30-minute commute and then the 15-minute commute being sort of the local community thing and now the two-hour commute, sort of the significant um, number. In How permanent do you think that that demand will be? Because I, I wonder about the, the, the magic of it all you know, you take your problems with you wherever you go, <laughs> you know, yes. is it going to solve our, our discontent with our lives? And also even the fact that you're going to have to do a two-hour commute two or three times a week, it might sound fine in theory, but when you actually have to do it, like whatever it, is, Tuesday and Wednesday is going to be a two-hour commute day. You're going to love Tuesdays and Wednesdays. You're going to freaking hate them. Mm. I wonder how, how really how um, entrenched or permanent this will be. Mm. Do you have any mm. sort of thoughts on that?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I, it won't be for everyone. For everyone, I totally agree. And, and it will very much depend on the type of job that you have and the flexibility and that comes with that job. So it's not going to... Uh, it, w- it will cert- suit certain people. Um, and, um, you know, yeah, I mean, ideally we would have really good public transport networks to those areas and yep. we'd have... You know, a, a thirty-minute train to the Southern Highlands or to the, you know, again we've got some geographic issues. But if we can sort that 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 transport out as well, then you're you, you're taking out that two-hour drive uh, and mm-hmm. replacing yeah. it with a you know a, a air-conditioned train that's got Wi-Fi that you can work on and uh, you know be be uh, <laughs> be at home and uh, you know still work a couple of days from home or in a local sort of work. Uh, hub and then be in the city when you need to be. So, I think it, if you look at, um, you know, again, if we come back to technology, I think COVID will probably what uh, it has accelerated technology and and, and uh, uh, those types of changes. They will then have flow and effects for for urban planning. Um, it'll be it'll be the fact that you know you can do. Again, you can do Zoom meetings. You can do all those types of things now. Completely acceptable type of doing, way of doing business. Um, whereas, you know, a few years ago, that was probably not the case. So, um, yeah, I'm sure there'll be some people that uh, make that change and then realise, well, actually, I, you know, the city's not too bad. There's a few things that I miss. So, so
0: there'll be the the, the U-turn.
2: <laughs> the, the U-turn, yeah.
0: If they haven't sold out and and got themselves out of a market that they uh, they can't get back into. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't yeah. laugh. That's actually not a nice thing scenario for anybody, but it does happen. Um, so, Bernard, I'm curious too. You know, everyone sort of knee jerked. Well, I feel like everybody knee jerked, or, or they either knee jerked or sat on their hands in a in a sudden, sudden, abrupt stop in March, April, when we went into lockdown, and obviously, Melburnians have had extended or a second round of that. Um, Did you have clients coming to you at that point saying, Right, we need to stop all projects. We need to, you know, reassess everything? Was this, was there a sort of a knee jerk in that whole space that you operate in? Or did, was there a sort of bit more of a calmness around it? You know what? This will pass. We continue with the big plan. How, how did that pan out?
2: Yeah, very much the latter. Um, There was a few, there was a few, obviously, projects that, Companies wanted to just take stock of, of where they were at through through March and April, um, but what we've found is um, most you know most planning exercises take time, um, and um, you know as I said it right at the beginning, if, you, if cities have this ability to be adaptable and change, and I think over time we will find this is a it is a bit of a blip. Um, yeah, probably the the biggest impact we will see is through the drop of migration, and that that will have a big impact. I think the lowest. I read something the other day the the lowest um, inbound of migration since uh, 1916 or something, which was mm. to the, the war. So that that will obviously obviously migration, particularly in cities like Sydney and Melbourne, have you know a big drivers of the housing construction economy. Uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of that migration is also, you know, students, international students, which you know that whole market mm. will hopefully come back. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I'm pretty ob- optimistic, and um, you know, if the overall, if if cities like Sydney can hold it together, then you know, we still look pretty attractive and on, on the world stage. When you look to what's happening in the states and Hong Kong and mm-hmm. and even Europe. Um, you know, Sydney as a place to live and do business is is really right up there on a world scale. So I think there'll be again, I, I hopefully there'll be a, a bit of a bounce um, coming out of this, and um, yeah, and, uh, you know, there'll be some positive changes that that do transform the city. But we will be we will be back to a new normal.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember back in um, 2018, Gladys was uh, you know Sydney was getting a bit uh funny for a lot of people you know congestion was getting a really big problem um you know a lot of people complaining about sort of migration were growing too fast um even gladys was out in the media saying you know we're going to cut we need to cut migration we need some you need we need to buy some time we need to get on with these infrastructure projects Um, and so she's kind of got what she wanted not in the (laughs) right way but um you know by no migration it's it's kind of that's what she was calling for. She was calling for, you know, we need to build the metro. We need to build these roads. Does the viability of these, you know, if there's less people commuting in there, you know, assuming we get the confidence to go back on public transport, which, you know, when you've got no cases, I mean, now for five days, right, if we get five months of no cases, you know, you've got to be pretty, you know, silly. or well, not silly, but you've got to be pretty fearful in your mind that you're going to get COVID if no one's got it for five months. Um so shouldn't we go back to public transport and we commute less because of work from home in some form? Does the viability or the need to build our big roads that we were planning on doing, i.e. the F6 down towards, mm. you know, Cronulla, Wollongong, the Beaches Link, the Western Harbour Tunnel, I think they're your three biggest ones. Mm. Do they kind of shift now? Does the government say, look, we're not growing at three, four 400,000 people a year or whatever it was, um and we don't need to get everyone to the city as much maybe we should just prioritize the metro and go big on that is that are they shifting their thinking like that from your insights or is it still like you know what those roads are pretty good they create a lot of jobs um and they make the city better let's just do that
2: yeah i think the the key thing here is the you know the the planning horizon for these projects you know these are things that are a 50 year project so um mm. in what's sort of happening now in the scheme of things probably won't uh, you know there, there'll be there may be some uh, you know, local sort of reprioritisation reprioritization of projects but I think over time you know the, 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 those big projects a lot of them are already committed um, and yeah. uh, w- whether they're needed you know next year or five years or ten years it's it's going to be needed at a point in time for, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a good point, right because they've the amount of money they're probably spent on, you know, doing all the assessments, the environmental assessment, the community. I mean there's contracts, they're probably signed, etc. Um, you know, you can't just walk away sometimes, right? And um you know, I think they're walking yep. away with the stadiums, aren't they? With one of the stadiums, but they're still pushing on ahead with the other stadium. Um you know, they can't really just unwind those big decisions.
0: <laughs> seems silly to talk about stadium does not
1: it good <laughs> well, right, but we'll be back before we sort of you know people are pretty confident to get back into those sort of sort of things yeah how does all that you know, i know in the cbd um people are i, I track new developments right i just want of my interests i want to know what's coming and you know and you can find out about all this stuff pretty easily you know what's the new tower that's getting approved mm. and most people have no idea about the amount of towers that are getting built in Sydney um mm. whether it's north sydney whether it's saint leonards um the cbd s- south of sydney etc how how are all these developers thinking about all this commercial space um are they you know a lot of them pivoting and saying well let's create more hotels but then there's not much tourism so or let's create turning more uh, residential, which generally hasn't sold that well in these sort of areas. Mm. Um, You know, are they shifting how they're going to, you know, because ideally you want a a lot of, you know, lots of different sort of um, segments, but the commercial segment was so enticing because it was completely undersupplied. So let's just build lots of commercial. Mm. Mm. Um, Mm. Is everything shifting there? Like they're still going to build the towers, but what's in that tower is going to change?
2: Yeah, there's there's a constant even you know pre-COVID there's a constant uh, market shift uh, going on with all these mm. like, centres and different land uses. You know we see we and and they often come in waves. So you get a you know a, a residential uh, boom in yep. the city, and, and you you know we saw that a few years ago, and then um, you know and then and then commercial mm. becomes comes back because there's been a you know there's. For whatever reason, the demand's built up, and and uh, that becomes the the highest and best use on sites. And then we we did see that through hotels. There was a big shortage of of hotels. So mm. I think that that's probably uh, coming to the to its um to its natural sort of end or, or, or equilibrium at the moment. So there's always this dynamic of you know, and it's a it's it's a uh, it's a it's a, a, a constant struggle between what the market wants to do and and, and planning authorities because you know sometimes um, you know you, you want to keep you, you don't want to leave or, or let centres get completely developed as residential because then you're you know uh, um, losing that potential for commercial as well uh, so there's you know so the zine, that's where zoning provisions come into it. Um, we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, mixed-use projects uh, coming through. So rather than being completely commercial or uh, completely one thing, it's the idea of breaking, a, you know, commercial, having some commercial office, a hotel, some residential, all in the same building. So those sort of models, uh, which traditionally haven't uh, probably been, um, you know, favoured, but I think we're going to see a lot more yeah. of that. Um, And there will be some changes to floor space demand. So some of those models of that that's been used to to determine, you know, how many people will be in a building, some of that thinking will probably change out of COVID. So that may change the equation on some sites that that, uh, were thinking one thing and then all of a sudden now other types of uses become more attractive.
0: So I guess it's it's all about diversity, really, isn't it? Because you know you're spreading your risk. But what about retail? Because you know you, you, your Westfields and those big, um, you know, retail centres—they are sort of copying a bit of a hammering, right? I mean, and retail was already in trouble, right? So before yeah. COVID, I think that's one thing. I mean, you mentioned it earlier in terms of what does COVID bring? It's accelerated change that was already in the wings, and it certainly revealed. Uh, quite starkly weaknesses that were already in the system so retail is one of them and I know the high street is you know that was sort of going through a metamorphosis anyway and we were seeing a lot of um, you know offices moving into shop fronts for instance and and now little offices probably aren't there's probably not a huge demand for those at the moment either so what's to do what's going to happen with the high street what's going to happen in these big centers is there any sort of thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I mean re- retail is uh, as you say was already um, w- was already struggling in many in many parts of its sector uh, pre-COVID. You know, online shopping was uh, was was happening and it was and it was was growing and you know it was only every you know every week you'd read in a paper about another brand that, that's gone into liquidation or you know, and yep. some of these are yeah, exactly. big these are these are big names and that was happening. Uh, pre And I think, uh, you know, I'm going to, again, through most of us are probably, you know, using more online shopping and more o- online um, through COVID. And, and that's probably, again, accelerated a change that was slowly happening. Uh, but it will have an impact on, on um, some of those traditional retailers that, you know, shopping centres were already, many of them were looking to, to diversify away from just being a retail centre. Uh, and whether that were including you know residential hotels, um, you know the food precincts, all of those types of things to to um, keep people coming into to those centres. So I think retailing is probably going to be you know if, whether it is your big shopping center or even your you know your local shops on the high street that that have really been hurt from this, uh, it's probably the one sector that will take a long time to to bounce back and and we might not see. You know, we might see some, some brands, some stores that that don't come back from this, and, and uh, um, you know that that might be, and then that will create an opportunity for, for change. Um, you know, yeah. for the, one of the yeah. one of the things we are seeing is uh, the rise of things like fulfilment centres. So, you know, the amount of yeah. online shopping, uh, mm-hmm. and there's a whole logistics chain that comes with that. There's a massive growth market in in that at the moment.
0: opportunity for something
2: Mm.
1: yeah i mean we're probably not going to be buying things as much you know because it's the whole hassle of going to the shop and buying it and you know a couple of clicks of the button and you got it but you know we're still going to want services right whether it's uh you know barbers or you know cafes or whatever it is so you know kind of the cities are still going to want those services yeah but how much you actually need compared to the the retail segment, and that's the problem, right? There's there's a demand for other things, but it's nowhere near going to fill the gap of, you know, lots of different, you know, shoe shops, etc.
0: It's interesting because, of course, you know, if you've got a building that previously would have been all commercial and then you've got to look at, okay, well, you got to mixed use it now and, oh, there's no point putting a hotel in there because there's not much travel. Um, there's no point putting residential in there because there's already oversupply of apartments. Um, oh, there's no point putting retail in there because retail's all gone off on online. Um, I will put a fulfilment centre in and that's going to be really, um, you know, using some very expensive land <laughs> for warehousing effectively and distribution. You know, we interviewed, was it Sarah Wilkinson from UTS some time ago, and she was actually talking about, um, you know, using car parks for hydroponic lighting for urban farming and stuff like that. I mean, what sort of really out there um, ideas are there for reuse of these these buildings and structures? Because let's face it, the traditional way that we've used these structures isn't necessarily going to be a demand for the foreseeable future.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um yeah there's there's lots of uh there's lots of things like that particularly car parks are are one example where you know it's a it's a use that sits there um often you know using using really valuable land um and uh you know particularly particularly if you can get that parking either partly underground or or up a bit and you can create ground space or the rooftops of buildings you know the there's a fantastic yeah. down in Everly there where they've created, you know, um, indigenous gardens on roofs of buildings. You know, there's fantastic ideas that that you can actually use these spaces for more than just the, the building itself. So, yeah, I mean, things, you know, we're, we're, you know, innovation comes out of these these times, right? When when everything's great, you don't have to do much, but mm. when you're when you don't you know when you look back and say well we can't do this and that well we're going to have to innovate so we, we might yeah. find we might find actually this this growth of these ideas that even a few years ago because there was a strong residential market or commercial market it was never going to be viable but people actually have to you know create the opportunity so it could be we could see an acceleration of some of that innovation
1: well maybe we just do nothing in these spaces you know just <laughs> give them back to the people because i mean that's what really people really want right they want green space they want open air you don't want to be in a manhattan sort of no you can't even get a little bit of sun um and that's what i think you know the opportunity for the city personally is you know start ripping stuff down and creating more land that people can actually want to use and then you've got people in the city and then when people are in the city then they'll need things and then you'll you know etc so you've you got to get the people back to the city. That's yep. why I'm a massive fan yep. of, uh, you know, getting congestion charged in the city. Now I drive to the city because it's, you know, it's easier. Um, only because we live somewhere where there's really
0: crap public transport.
1: <laughs> well, that's true. But I used to drive to the city when I lived in, you know, Rose Bay, um, you know, because it was more efficient and et cetera. And it's only 40 minutes. People, A lot of people do it in Bondi, et cetera. And car parking is really cheap. So... Um, know but if you had to pay a congestion charge or actually getting into the city and getting out of the city in the car is just too difficult then you push people to public transport and then you create those spaces to green spaces and you know walkable city then that encourages residential and riding um Mm. and so i feel like you've got to be quite forceful in planning cities because uh, humans will just do what's the lazy option right the the easy option that's just getting in the car and um, you know so i think that there's a lot big opportunity, I think, yeah. with, with yeah. redesigning, especially Sydney was a... You know, I lived in Melbourne, I've lived in London, um, and you talk about the Sydney CBD five years ago, and, you know, it was a bit disastrous, right? It was a dead zone at night, you know, no real vibe on the weekend. Darling Harbour was a, you know, horrible place. Um, but I feel like Sydney's turned the corner. It just needs to keep on going where it was going. Mm, what do you think?
2: Mm, mm. Well, there's about 10 things in that uh, in that comment. I, want, I was, oh, no, was a bit of a ramble. I want to go, I want to go right back to, to an important point you said there around the value of, of open space and local open space. And, and I think, you know, through COVID we've seen just how important those local connections, your local parks, mm. your, you know, look at the Bay Run around uh, in the inner west there. You know, the talk about congestion. There was congestion on the Bayron of people walking and cycling. You know, like, there was, but what, what a problem. great, what a great thing to have. You know, when mm. you, when you, yeah. when you can't travel, uh, you know, out, out of your local community, those communities that had that access to walking paths and. Somewhere to you know take the kids to kick a ball. That, that it just showed how important that is in a community. So, completely, completely agree with that. Um, you know, I think local parks, local cycleways, walkways, the appreciation of them. There was always you know there was always a, a, a need and a desire for them, but I think that broader, broader, broader mainstream appreciation for those types of facilities has um, has only increased through this. So.
0: Yeah, it's really been doled up.
1: Yeah. Mm. You make of- me laugh on the uh, walkways because, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm at the stage where I've got a newborn and um, you've got a pram, right? And, uh, you know, that footpath has never meant more <laughs> to me than, you know, when you've got a pram because, you know, you just can't get anywhere, right? And it's just dangerous. And, <laughs> you know, so you walk around these, Oh, up on the beaches, which is inherently hilly, uh, and their walkways are awful. And, you know, coming into that sort of environment, pre-baby with and just and even pre-covid the walking in your local suburb um you know you just get until you're at these stages where you go through these experiences, then you start to appreciate them and i think that's what people are doing is they can appreciating their local community more and wanting it to be better so yeah which is uh, a property for us uh
2: yeah yeah so i was thinking about this probably uh Probably uh, many of them, actually, and and being a town planner, I thought I'd, I'd probably have to link it back to being something planning related. And one of the things that you know I've seen over the years is um, people not just not doing their due diligence when they buy property, and due diligence in terms of planning, uh, what's yeah. go, what's going on, not just what you can do on the the land now, but Mm. but what could change uh, around them? So, you know, I see so many, particularly in areas that are changing, people buying either houses or apartments and centres and then, you know, they might live in a a high-rise building but then forget that there's probably going to be other high-rise buildings going up around them (laughs) over time and, Mm. and, you know, you just, I know it's, uh, you know, it's sort of difficult but you you know, people do need to not just look at what planning controls say now, but particularly in those areas of change, they are going to change. And, you know, part of the attraction why you might like to buy there or, or live there is going to be the reason why others want to live there as well. So, um, that would be, uh, that would be, that would be my tip around, you know, do, do your, do your due diligence, um, and think about what can change in the future and just be aware of that because, uh, you know, particularly things around views. Um, you know, people buying apartments with views that, mm. um, unfortunately, can can get built out in the future.
0: Totally. I mean, we it, certainly in my business we look at okay. Well, how could the view at outlook, um, privacy, or natural light be impacted? Um, by changes in yep. the surrounding properties. Mm. And, you know, it's important to look at the zoning to see what could happen there. You know, like, so if it's currently zoned, whatever it is, you know, how yep. many stories could it be? Is it max currently yep. or not? I mean, yep. But then, I guess, beyond that, can you, is there any way that you can predict, you can look at things, well, that may get, that zoning might get changed? Is, are there any early warning signs of that that you can give us a hint to?
2: <laughs> Other than a crystal ball.
0: Because um, yeah. no, are there are there any sites that sort of show what <laughs> what is is being uh, muted?
2: No, no the, the, you Look at the pattern of the city. You know, look mm-hmm. at look at. You yeah. know, the growth is going to be continue to be around train stations and centres. You know that yep. where that's where it makes sense that that uh, future development will happen. So. You know, there'll be There'll be opportunities in, in those spaces um, over time, um, and then there'll be other parts of the cities that are being, you know, character areas that are being protected for their for their um, character. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's not it's not too difficult to sort of look at the overall pattern if you go back twenty years and then try to predict where, how things will change in another twenty years.
1: I think that's one of my favorite Dumbos, to be honest, because I think I've got um, it's one of the things that I, I, I will do to class. So, what's your feedback on this? You know, I'm not, not about saying you should buy this, but I'll say, well, you know, have you thought about that? And, you know, pros and cons that I can just see sometimes. And I always, always go to the satellite and look at where it is, look at the street, look at the neighbors, look what's behind the property, look how far it is to the main road. And it's a bit of common sense, really, isn't yeah, it? Like if yeah. you, you know,
0: yeah, but there's uh, not there's enough a little common sense next when it comes to <laughs> our own <iron No>. property, <laughs> hence the elephant. <laughs> no.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, though. Like, if there's a little park next to you, right, it's council land. Like, yeah, it's it makes sense to be council land. But as the city gets bigger, the council is going to be looking at land and saying maybe we should put a childcare centre there or, you know, uh, or if it's a school and it's, you know, the school can always do a renovation mm. or, you know, there's mm. so many things that, um, you know, or if it's on a main road, you know, like I remember when I was... I'm going to place a mobile like this you just if you're biking onto a main road you just never know what could happen right so yep. it's just you've got to like think about these risks what could happen and change around you and how does that potentially change the livability of your property because as soon as that gets public knowledge or even it's talked about yep um your asset value is you know severely impacted mm. and then you go to sell that property and everyone knows about that things coming and you're like oh god what we should have got rid of it and then and then you're selling, and then your neighbor's selling, and then you get this bit of a fire sale problem where, you know, someone's got to be an opportunist to want to buy there. And um, I think it's one of the biggest risks that a lot of property investors don't think about. They just fall in love with the property, but never mm-hmm. check everything around them yeah. Um, yeah. and how that could potentially, you yeah. could fall out of a lo- love of the property pretty quick as soon as you find out that, you know, your view's going or you're going to get noise problems. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Thanks for yeah it's a really yeah. good one. True. Cool. Thank, thank, thank you so much, Bernard. That's been amazing.
2: Thank you. It was very good. I very enjoyed it.
1: So I've been calling we, we you, you Bernard.
2: Uh, <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> That's fine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. No, I really appreciate it. So it's a very important topic and I think that, you know, our cities that are going to, a lot of people say, well, you know, they think today 5 million people, but, you know, time moves fast, right? And then we yeah. get to six. Yeah, and we're going to get to seven. So you can't stop that train. Our economy is built on migration and growing up. That's what growth is. Yeah. Um, so you just got to be aware of it and 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 try to find your place within that city. Yep. Yep. And
2: I, you know, I think uh, be optimistic about the city. Sydney is a great place. It it is, uh, and it's getting better. And and on a world stage, as I said, it's a really attractive place to live and work. And well, I think time will tell. We'll get over this little this little hiccup, and. Uh, And we'll see um, you know we'll see a lot of uh, positive things happening around the city. So I'm pretty I'm pretty optimistic.
0: Given that you're not you're not born and bred here, you're you know slight fang there, that's like kiwi. Um that's that's been cool. Yeah, it's a big call. You're saying Sydney is a good place to (laughs) live.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you,
0: Bernard. Thanks,
1: guys. Thanks, Veronica. Thank you. Cheers. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is
0: Picking up on Bernard's Dumbo, which is about due diligence and looking at what could be built around you, basically, that would change the livability and the the value, really, of your own property. You know, I've been uh, working with Megan Wells on this project, Home Buyer Academy. We're doing the Your First Home Buyer Guide, which is a course, right? And in, in, in that course, we've been building in modules on teaching first home buyers how to do due diligence, what to research, and, you know... So obviously, I'm based in New South Wales. Um, when you buy a property in New South Wales, you get a contract, and in that contract are a number of essential documents. Now, and and one of those is a zoning certificate from the council. So there's quite a lot of information packed into these these zoning certificates, and I highly recommend that anybody read them. And you know, for many many years, I've said that these contracts aren't exhaustive. They don't have all the information that you need. I mean, for instance, a survey is not an essential document, yet it is the only way that you can actually confirm the boundaries of the property that you are buying. Um, You know, if if it's been renovated recently, there's there's um, there's no requirement for them to be a homeowner's warranty certificate in there or an occupation certificate or a building certificate. None of these are actually required documents. What I've been astounded at, so that's New South Wales, is that in Victoria uh, the contract doesn't have any of these, co- these um, documents attached to it. there's this thing called a vendor statement or a Section 32 statement, which has a number of these things, but not quite as extensive as what is required in New South Wales. And then when you get to Queensland, the only essential document in a contract is actually a pool compliance certificate. They don't have to even provide a plan to show that you're actually getting what you think you're buying. I mean, there's no zoning certificate whatsoever. You have to actually request and order these documents yourself as a buyer and you know if yours if you get a cut price conveyancer for instance they might not even recommend you do this it's actually fully buyer beware quite alarming so what I've realized is well a that in New South Wales you get better disclosure than probably anywhere else in the country but that disclosure is not enough because it won't let you know if their neighbors have put in a DA let alone you know what's actually been done or built on the property you're actually thinking about buying. There's, there's, it won't let you know if zoning is changing. It won't let you know if an industrial park's about to be built across the road from you. It's actually not going to tell you any of this stuff. You need to take take this seriously and actually get in there and really look at all of this stuff there's an enormous amount of things that can go wrong or you can be completely unaware of if you're buying a property and if you haven't actually gone through this exhaustive process well i recommend you can get you can join the Homebuyer academy course and that will teach you it all but but really and truly a, a very good property lawyer um, should be across all this stuff but at, at the very at the very minimum reason that 149, or oh, it's actually not called a 149 anymore, it's called the 107, I think, certificate. It's called the zoning certificate, anyway. So, in every contract in New South Wales, there's a zoning certificate. And if you ha- you're not in New South Wales, request one from the local council.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's just such a big point that I think people fall in love with the property. They, you know, most people aren't buying in the suburb that they've spent a lot of time in. You know, they can't afford to living their life. And, you know, yes, people are upgrading, and so you may know what's going on within your suburb, but not many people track everything that's happening in your suburb. They don't know what the local school's going to do. They don't know how the retail things, you know, changing, et cetera. And then they want to do an upgrade and they, you know, fall in love with the property and then it's all too late to start doing your due diligence because you're, you're already too emotional. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, get, get to understand what's happening at a suburb level, get to really understand how it all works, what's potentially going to change um, and then when you go and look at properties, you can already be discounting those ones and saying, well, no, I'm not going to even go look at that property because it backs onto that main road or whatever it is. And, uh, yeah, I think that most people go in there, look for, find the right property and then just try to make it work rather than the other way around, making sure that you, you know what you're looking for.
0: There's all so other things in there. There's zoning certificate, for instance, will tell you if it's in a bushfire zone um, or if it's in a flooding <laughs> zone. You know and th- these are really important things and and particularly in sydney you don't think so much about flooding zones but there are actual there are um absolute flooding zones around the, the city you want to know particularly if you're buying in brisbane you want to know about a flooding zone i mean you definitely want to know about bushfire zones because if you're ever going to do work on a property apart from the fact you could burn down if it's not built properly but uh or if it's not built um to current code and therefore protected i should say um you know, but if you ever want to do work on that property, it's going to cost you more. I mean, you might be required to clear clear the trees around. I mean, there's just so many implications of understanding actually uh, the planning um, aspect of buying a property, both for your property and what's around you.
1: Yeah, the bushfire one's an interesting one. You know, your insurance costs are going to be more expensive, right? So, you know, when you look at the cost of running that property, well, you're going to have to factor in that, you know, and maybe they won't even want to do insurance or the number of providers. So, yeah, you definitely want to get a house, you know, your, your building sort of insurance done before you purchase that property to know that it's reasonable. Um, And, you know, because, and also you'd have to buy a lot more building insurance because if your house did burn down, um, it'd be a lot more expensive to build because of the location and the, the materials you have to use and everything is completely different. Um, yeah. You know, I've got a client trying to do a renovation on one of those properties and you know, it's probably double almost what he probably would have to spend if it wasn't in a bushfire zone. So, you know, those things you don't know till you've signed that contract. Oh, we're in a bushfire zone. We want to do a reno. Well, mm. I'm sorry. It's, it's you know, a million, not 500. So, you know, it's, it's, due diligence probably the key thing. But, you know, like I was probably saying before, I think people are due diligence after they've fallen in love with the property. And most people go back to head in the sand. Um, we just want to make it happen and she'll be right, mate. And it's just not good enough, unfortunately.
0: But, you know, they sort of think, okay, I've had the contract looked at, I've had the building and pest inspection, that's it. And and I think what most people don't realise is how much more needs to be done and you've got to take it seriously. People spend more time really researching a car than they do a house. for our next episode. We're doing a listener Q&A and this is actually, we've got a bit of a back to the future in there. and You'll have to listen to find out what I mean by that. But um, we've actually had a lot of questions lately about how to get the best start on the property ladder and then build a portfolio in the current lending environment. So if this is something that's been plaguing you and keeping you up at night, you definitely want to tune in to our next episode. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to
1: buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team would love to carefully guide you on this journey. And most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website,
0: If you're a first home buyer and you don't want to miss a step with this most important purchase, join me on Wednesday nights at 7.30pm Sydney time on the Home Buyer Academy Facebook page for live Q&A. Check out the website homebuyeracademy.com.au
1: Every month my team hosts a webinar on what we are seeing at the banks, the best rates, changing policy and their service. We also share the latest insights we hear and read that are impacting the property market direction. Check out wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again.
0: And remember, don't be a dumbo.